Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. He was the only other guy I ever met, you know, at the time. And maybe maybe to this day, uh, who felt that the same way I as I did about rock and roll that rock and roll was everything. You know, it wasn't just a, a, a hobby. It wasn't just a something you did on the weekend or or you know something like that just for fun. It was it was everything. It became my religion, and and, uh, and you know, and it was something very special. Welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is the show that is dedicated to the simple premise that everybody and everything and every product and every company and every celebrity and athlete and, and politician is a brand. Everything today is a brand. And what we do on the show is two things. First, we interview a big uh, individual brand about their personal brand. Today, we've got Stevie Van Zant uh, from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of course, part of uh, Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Uh, start on The Sopranos, uh, huge, serious show. And he's just a really fascinating, fascinating guy. We're going to talk to Stevie Van Zandt in a little bit of his brand. But first, let's get to the brands of the week. First up, the Arizona Recount. Big brand up for the Arizona Recount. Uh, of course, as we know by now, the Republican uh, or Trump or whoever it was uh, hired the, the they were called the Cyber Ninjas to find in Maricopa County, uh, these general election uh, inaccuracies in 2020. And, and guess what? Uh, they found out that actually Biden got more votes uh, than even. So what a big thumbs up and a, a particular thumbs uh, brand down for Trump. This is what's amazing. At Trump 1030, he news broke of a, a draft from Cyber Ninjas that actually said that he had done worse. And yet he basically released a statement through Save America Pack from other results and called the auditors highly respected and promoted their examination results. Didn't even know they won laws. And, and to make it even worse, he's at a Georgia rally a couple of days later, and he basically says, we won the Arizona forensic audit yesterday at a level you wouldn't believe in Perry, Georgia. There is, it just doesn't stop. And, you know, once again, even after this and after the, these, this group looked at it again and they said that he went, comes out just the same lie. And, Guys, we're in scary places. I haven't, you know, talked about this on the show. I'm worried that Trump can win again. Biden is looking, um, it's just not looking strong lately. And uh, the Republicans are teeing up right now. There are 16 state legislatures that they've changed the, the rules that they can kind of throw the election to. And we're in scary territory here. And, and the lies um, just keep happening. Uh, along those lines, uh, brand down for 21 million Americans. 21 million Americans say Biden is illegitimate. And Trump should be restored by violence. Okay, so the, the actual number is that 25% of American adults, one in four, 47 million, agree with the statement that this was stolen from Donald Trump. So it's one in four at this, in this country. That's not one in four Republicans, one in four in this country. But of those 9%, which account for 21 million, agree that the use of force is justified to restore Trump to the presidency. So that's, what is that, one in 12 Americans think that not only Trump lost the election, but we should use violence to get it back in. So this is where we're going. Um Brand down for Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani has been banned from Fox News. There you go. Rudy has really hurt political quarter of source close to Giuliani is saying. Um, basically, according to the website, the prominent Trump ally learned of his expulsion on the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, he, was, he was particularly angry because he said he was a big factor for Rupert Murdoch. He was instrumental in 96 in getting Fox on Time Warner. So it could be watching New York City. But once again, Fox News... Probably having something to do with the lawsuit uh, from Dominion, uh, the voting machines. Um, they're being a little more careful. and They're not putting complete raving lunatics, or at least not all the time, people like Giuliani, but they still have their share of raving lunatics. Speaking of which, brand down for Kelly McEnany. This is just amazing. She basically uh, 
blamed Joe Biden for the increasing murder rate in 2020. She posted about, she basically wrote, um, there is no precedent for last year's increase in the murder rate. The previous largest one-year increase was 12.7% uh, in 1968. And then realized, oops, that's when Trump was president. So this is just, and of course she takes it down after that. Um, but there you go for Callie McEnany, really on top of her game, like so many of the Republicans. A uh, brand up and a brand down for Manny Pacquiao. Brand up because he's running for the president of the Philippines. And a very, very smart brand strategy. He's bringing kind of the fighting mentality. He's going to fight. He's telling people he's going to fight for them. Of course, Manny Pacquiao, Manny Pacquiao, the former world champion boxer. But let's give him a huge brand down. Um, he Let's remember when he was president, he said in the Senate, he said LGBTQ people are worse than animals. There you go. That's, that's who's running for president of the Philippines. So uh, a brand down, once again, I don't believe you get to call any group of people animals, particularly worse than animals. LGBTQ people, Manny Pacquiao, that's maybe your future president of the Philippines. Uh, brand up for the New York City Mass Transit Association. Officials on Wednesday announced bus and train riders, after a year of lax enforcement, they're going to cover your face or a $50 fine. I think they've basically given out a total of like 50, 60, 70 fines to date. In, uh, but now they're really, they're t- oh, no, they've only issued 41 summons to date. But now conducting the first six months of 2020 found that more than 80% of subway riders wore their masks over both their noses and mouths. But that figure has dipped to 71% in early July, remained below 75% early September. They're going to start finding people. And guys, I said this in so many different ways. The way, at the end of the day, we get people vaccinated is we just kind of keep kind of moving the goalposts in, whether it's that you you can't travel here or you need a, a mask here. And if you don't wear a mask, you uh, you get a fine. we got to hit people in the pocketbook. Um Brand up for David Simon. David Simon is the Wire creator, and he won't film his new HBO show in Texas over abortion law. And that's it. I mean, once again, hit these states where it hurts. Take the commerce away from it. Uh, I salute him. Simon wrote on Twitter, if an employer, to, if an employer, this is beyond politics. I'm turning to scripts next month on an HBO nonfiction Mary series based on events in Texas, but I can't and won't ask female cast crew to forego civil liberties to film there. So I brand up for David Simon. I think you see more of that. A brand I'm not sure for J-Lo. Now, I guess she gets a brand up because she was Ad Week's brand visionary of the year, J-Lo. Actress, singer, and entrepreneur Jennifer Lopez officially became Ad Week's brand visionary at the Brand Week Summit. Recognizes a career's worth of branding and marketing achievements. Brand visionary is Ad Week's marquee award. She's the 10th person to receive it. She's done a lot of work for DSW, Coach, Pepsi. I don't, not quite sure why she is the brand visionary of the year. You want to call her an entertainer of the year. I mean, she's done some branding work. I love Adweek. Uh, actually, I'm sp- um, speaking at their big one of their big Adweek conferences coming up. Not quite sure why she's the brand visionary. So we'll have to chat about that a little bit. Uh, we've got a brand up for Doja Cat. Doja Cat launches, launches the first makeup collab with BH Cosmetics. Chart-topping pop star Doja Cat is aiming to make waves in the beauty world with her first makeup collaboration. Uh, she's got a 36-color eyeshadow palette. This is it. This is the way you sell cosmetics today. and This is the way you, you sell meals at McDonald's. You, you take a hip-hop artist, you take a very current artist, you take a TikTok artist, and you glom them on top. Never in the history of marketing has there been more saliency with, I don't want to call them celebrity endorsers, celebrity owners of brands and it, it, they encompass the brand. They are the brand. And uh, you're seeing this across the world. So Doja Cat, there you go. I know all my viewers are big Doja Cat uh, fans. Okay, brand, hmm, I, brand well-intentioned for Shaq. And I love Shaq, but I, I, I'm going to give him a brand. I don't get this. He said celebrity status is out of their mind. He says, don't, I don't, he doesn't want to be called a celebrity anymore. Those celebrities are going freaking crazy. And I don't want to be one. I denounced my celebrity status today. I'm done with it. O'Neill told the Post while discussing his new campaign with Kellogg's. So you're doing a new campaign with Kellogg's. You're obviously monetizing your celebrity status as well you should, but you're putting down being a celebrity. So I, I, I don't get it. He's a good man. He's done a lot of charitable stuff. Very smart businessman. They say he's worth somewhere around a half a billion dollars and he's always invested. He says, if a product's going to make my life better, I'll invest in it. And I think that's a very simple, interesting way of looking at investing. But I'm not quite sure what his shunning of celebrity status is. Brand up for William Shatner. And here's why. I love this. He's turning 90 or he is 90. 
And basically, after decades, he last played the role of Captain Kirk. He's really going to space on Jeff Bezos's rocket ship. That's right. He will be in this in the space flight in the New Shepard Castle uh, with Blue Origin, of course. Uh, we're told Shatner will be on board October for the 15-minute civilian flight, similar to the last launch. How great is that? Captain Kirk really going into space at age 90. Got to love that. Um, Brand up for American Gladiators. American, American Gladiators, uh, it was a TV show on ABC in the, I guess in the 90s, yeah, or late 80s. It's coming back and it's being put together by WWE and MGM. I think that's interesting. WWE is part of it. Mark Burnett's part of it. American Gladiators, I think in this, you know, anything fight in this world uh, seems to be doing well, obviously led by MMA and, and we're celebrity boxing with Jake Paul and things like that. So I'm thinking this is going to be a good one. A brand down for Spencer Eldon. He is, of course, not of course, he is the baby on the cover of the of the uh, uh, Nirvana Nevermind album. And obviously, if you know that album and you know Nirvana, he's, it's a baby. You see his little genitalia. And which I think today, interestingly enough, they would not have done that. And he's claiming that um, he's demanding Universal redact the image of the genitalia from all future album covers. Um, he sued over the image. Um, he says that it was uh, exploitation and violation of his privacy. You know, I kind of get it. I mean, <laughs> I want a little naked picture of me on an album cover and billions of people. I mean, it, you know, like I said, interesting in today's age, I don't think they would have done that. But I guess we'll give him a brand down, dude. Come on. You know, you got to go with this stuff. Um, brand up for Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, of course, is uh, playing in his last James Bond movie. And Heineken, which is in, I think, been seven or eight Heineken movies, in, in the newest ad, he basically just pours the Heineken. I mean, that's how cool Daniel Craig is. And I, I think that's great advertising. Get out of the way. If I see Daniel Craig drinking a Heineken, I want a Heineken. I don't need any other bullshit in the ad. So I, I, I apply for that. Here's a great idea. Uh, brand up for Turo. All right, that's right. It's Turo. It's basically Air Airbnb for cars. You can compete with rental car giants. It's basically... You rental cars in short supply. Enterprise and car owners have amassed their own small fleets of automobiles, renting them out to travelers. If you need a car in Boston for a weekend in October, you can rent a Ford Fiesta hatchback from budget for about five hundred. We'll pay the same for a Maserati from Turo.com, a car sharing site. So, it's a great idea. People share their cars. You rent them out. You get them for a fraction of what you pay at the big um, big rent car services. So, um, it is basically another example of tremendous disruption. Brand up for Peyton and Eli Manning, the Manning brothers. Really great idea. ESPN, very smart. Um, on their Monday night games, they simulcast on ESPN2. Instead of their regular announcers, who do a good job, they've got the, the Manning brothers kind of really shooting the crap and, and being very informal and, and picking, you know, you hear their kind of really inside football stuff. In the first week, it had 2 million viewers. Uh, I mean, a big jump from the first to second week, 132% increase. Um, and it's just really smart. It's, it's just a smart for ABC and ESPN to just get one more feed. You run the same game on, a, but with a little kind of a different spice. And the Manning brothers are just, are just marketing machines. Both of them, Peyton and Eli, um, they're just, they're a, a marketer's dream. And, uh, so we salute them. Um, finally, uh, a brand up for Turkey and gravy soda. Jones Soda revised gag-inducing turkey and gravy flavor after a decade off shelves. Jones Soda, known for oddball flavors like bug juice and blue bubble gum. They are now putting turkey and gravy just ahead of Thanksgiving. Um, there you go, turkey and gravy soda. I'm not quite sure anybody wants that. And finally, no, I have one more. The Bronx Zoo Gorillas. I, uh, I would ask any of my listeners to go, uh, go online and put in Bronx Zoo Gorillas fooling around or whatever it is or having oral sex it, there is a, a viral video, and it basically shows one uh, gorilla going down on another. I'm not quite sure if it's two males or a male and a female. I'm, I don't know about that. I don't know if this, these are gay gorillas or straight gorillas, but it's pretty graphic, and it was right in front of a bunch of kids sitting there. It's just silly and funny. So I, I don't want you. So a brand up to the Bronx Zoo gorillas doing their thing, and those are our brands of the week. Now let's get to Stevie Van Zandt. You're going to love this interview. Stevie is one of the best guys around. Of course, uh, he's been part of the, the Springsteen E Street Band for all these years. Um, started as Tony Soprano's consigliere in The Sopranos. Uh, he's got a lot to talk about here, Stevie Van Zandt. Okay, I want to talk to you about Shopify today. As supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success, Shopify is more than a store. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day. -day. Look, 
Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere. It gives entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big businesses. It customizes your needs with a great-looking online store that brings the idea to life and the tools to manage your day-to-day and drive sales. I mean, this is the place, Shopify. I mean, if you got to sell anything, it's basically every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. I'm telling you, you got to sell something, Shopify. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. 24-7 support. You're never alone. More than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility Powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash Donnie. All lowercase for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify, Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash Donnie right now. Shopify.com slash Donnie. Check it out. Okay, I want to talk about Chime. C-H-I-M-E. When your online checking account balance is running low, the last thing you need is a $33 overdraft fee. Overdraft fees have gotten way out of hand. In 2019, traditional banks took $11 billion in overdraft fees. Chime does things differently. Chime is an award-winning app and debit card that has saved its members more than $10 billion in overdraft fees with spot-me-free overdraft. Eligible members can overdraft up to 200 bucks on debit card purchases and cash withdrawals with absolutely no fees. Now you deserve financial peace of mind. Join the millions of Americans already loving Chime. Sign up. It only takes two minutes. Doesn't affect your credit score. Get started today on Chime.com slash Donnie. That's Chime.com slash Donnie. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements apply. Overdraft only applies to debit card purchases and cash withdrawals. Limits start at $20 and may be increased up to $200 by Chime. Chime member overdraft fee savings based on eligible members' use of SpotMe versus $33 average overdraft fee. Overdraft fee database on bank rate, checking account survey, and CRL June 2020 overdraft fees report. So Chime, no more overdraft. It's the debit card place to go. Chime. I am thrilled at today's guest uh, on on brand. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt, let me give you a little setup for Steve. It's going to take me a minute or two because it, it, he gives Renaissance Man a new term. He is a musician, a performer, a songwriter, arranger, music producer, music supervisor, TV producer, actor, director, Broadway producer, TV and film composer, live event producer, international DJ, activist, historian, teacher, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and recognized internationally as one of the world's foremost authorities in both contemporary and traditional rock. He's a member, of course, of the E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen. He was in The Sopranos. He's got his uh, amazing, amazing Sean Sirius, uh, Little Stevens on the Ground uh, Garage. Uh, he's got seven solo albums, his, his own band. Uh, we know him from The Sopranos. He's got a big new book out, Unrequited Infatuations. And I'm thrilled to, to welcome to the show, Stevie Van Zandt. How you doing, man? Good, Donnie. Good to see you. Now, I don't know if you remember this, because you didn't know me. I knew who you were. But back in the mid, uh, I'm going to say it's the early 80s, we both lived in the same building in Manhattan, the Sheffield on West 57th Street. Oh, no kidding. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> Do you remember living in the building? Or, or you were no, in that no, no, no. I remember living there. Yeah, okay, but, you but wouldn't I, know me then. I, 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 you, you wouldn't know me then. But I, I, I recognized you at the time. And first of all, how you doing, man? Oh, good, good, man, good. Yeah, we we lived up there for quite a while because, uh, you know, my wife was a ballet dancer and, and she used to love going to the ballet, which was just a, a couple blocks away. You know. Now your life has been so interesting. Uh, I want to go back. We're going to do a little. This is your life, uh, Stevie Van Zandt. Uh, and it's what the book is really all about. And I mean, you grew up in suburban New Jersey, Jersey kid, loved music. And um, I want to pick it up when you were kind of in the grunge bars there and a young guy. And uh, take me to the early days the, in those early grunge bars playing. Well, first of all, we were the luckiest generation, uh, you know, and, and going back and, and, you know, reliving those days reminded me how lucky we were. Um you know, we 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 were the first, uh, you know, the first the first real baby boom generation. So we had all kinds of places to play as, as a young band. Um, you know, high school dances and, and beach clubs and special teenage clubs built just for us. And I, I've never heard of that before our generation or after our generation. But we um, 
we, we, you know, we had, we had a, a lot of attention and, uh, and, and, you know, everybody, if, if you didn't on your night on a, on a day off or whatever, you, um, you were either playing in a band or you're going to see a band. That was it. That was your life. You know, uh, we had no, of course, you know, we had no cell phones or, or internet or, <laughs> times, or, you know, times are better, huh? any, any other, you know, so, so, you know, rock and roll was really, uh, quite a, quite a, quite a common thing, you know, not, not just us, us, you know, we who were in bands, but, uh, but, you know, everybody was, was kind of, uh, a very much a monoculture in those days and rock and roll was everything. So it's a wonderful time to grow up and, uh, and we were, we were very lucky, you know? And you met, you talk about the first time you met Bruce and he was just kind of a shy guy playing guitar. You guys kind of hit it off. Talk to me about, I mean, you were in your teens. Talk to me about that first meeting. Yeah, we, we, um, you know, um, I talk about this in, in, in more detail, but but basically there were no bands in America at the time. Uh, you know, February 8th, 1964, there were no bands. I mean, I mean, if you went to a high school dance, there would be a band, but there would be an instrumental band, you know. Uh, February 9th, 1964, uh, a group called The Beatles played a variety show called Ed Sullivan, which the whole family used to watch and, and the entire, entire country watched. And the next day, February 10th, everybody had a band in the garage. I mean, it was uh, an amazing transformation because uh, the, 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 the Beatles introduced the idea of being in a band. It was a whole new kind of idea. You know, we had you know, a lot of individuals in those days, you know, in the 50s, you know, Chuck Berry and Little Richard and those guys. And then we had doo-wop groups, harmony groups. But there weren't that many bands who sang and played, you know. And um, so uh, everybody had a band in the garage. Uh, most of them uh, mercifully stayed there. But uh, about a dozen of us got out into, into a, like a circuit. And I, and I had my band, The Source, and, and Bruce had his band, The Castiles. And there, you know, there were probably eight or ten other bands that you'd run into. And so you were, you were automatically friends just, just from being in a rock and roll band, which was a weird thing to do still uh, in, in the sixties, you know, it wasn't really a legitimate, uh, business yet until the seventies. So, um, you know, it was kind of a freaky thing to, to do. So you were immediately friends. And like, I, like, I, like I used to say, you know, if you were, if you were in a band, you were friends. If you had long hair, you were friends. And if you had long hair and were in a band, you were best friends, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that was our story. We just kind of, we kind of hit it off. And, um, he was the only other guy I ever met, you know, at the time, and maybe maybe to this day, uh, who felt that the same way I as I did about rock and roll. That rock and roll was everything. You know, it wasn't just a, a, a hobby. It wasn't just a something you did on the weekend or or you know, something like that just for fun. It was it was everything. It became my religion, and and, uh, and you know. And it was something very special. You know, to that point, I'm going to read a quote from Bruce and from you, a quote from him. He's not the only one, nor the oldest, nor the richest, but little Stevie Van Zandt might currently be the planet's most charismatic, dedicated, invisible crusader, scraping to preserve the dirty purity of rock and roll. And quote from you, I know it sounds a bit silly, but I do believe rock and roll can change the world. It's about bands, and that suggests to me brotherhood, family, friendship, and community. So, Connie, it is, it is everything to you. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about Alto. And look, um, do you have an account with Coinbase? Or are you thinking of opening one? Do you own any Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, or any cryptocurrency? Look, crypto is the future of money. Um, and here's the thing. When you do anything in life, there's one way to do it. And there's also a smarter way to do it. You may already be investing in cryptocurrency, but you know you can trade Bitcoin, Ethereum, and over 80 other cryptocurrencies in a tax-advantaged IRA. With an Alto crypto IRA, you can trade crypto like Bitcoin and avoid or defer taxes. I want to say this again, Alto IRA, okay? This is a really, 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 really smart thing. It's basically you trade crypto like Bitcoin and avoid or defer the taxes. You get into investing in crypto and do it in a tax-advantaged retirement account. It's the easy way to get crypto into an IRA. Trade all you want without the tax headache. Invest as little as 10 bucks, no setup charges, secure 24-7 trading. There's 80 coins available, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano. So this is the place to go. Multiple ways to fund your account, make a cash contribution, transfer cash from an existing IRA, or roll over to a 401k. Ready to take your investments to the next level? Diversify like the, diversify like the pros and trade with, without tax headaches. Open an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as $10. Just go to 
Alto, A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com brand. That's Alto, A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com brand. Start investing in crypto today and do it and save money on taxes. Go to AltoIRA.com slash brand. I want to talk to you about Wondery. You know, in the 90s, two new hip-hop record labels, Shock Parents and One Over Fans Worldwide, selling tens of millions of albums. The Business Wars podcast from Wondery has a story of how Death Row and Bad Boy Records changed American music and American business. But soon enough, their East versus West Coast rivalry would turn deadly. The battle between the two labels escalated as they fought to reach the top of the charts. Tupac would score with a blockbuster album for Death Row, then Bad Boy would re- retaliate with a hit Notorious B.I.G. single. The larger-than-life characters like Tupac and Biggie and Dr. Dre and Snoop, Puff Daddy, all of them, you gotta, you gotta really, really, really listen to these stories. Business Wars, Death Row versus Bad Boy has the story of how these rap rivals turn hip-hop into a multi-billion-dollar global industry. This is on this is on Wondery. This is Business Wars. This is the Death Row versus Bad Boy series. In your own words, I'm telling you, this is just fantastic. You 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 will not want to miss it. Listen to Business Wars, Death Row versus Bad Boy on Apple Podcasts. So this is part of Wondery. It's the Business Wars podcast from Wondery, and it's really fantastic. Death Row versus Bad Boy. Listen to Business Wars, Death Row versus Bad Boy on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. That's W-N-D-E-R-Y. And talking about Southside Johnny, I did not know that you were one of the founders of Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. I, I, I did not know that. I mean, because you're so yeah. obviously associated and part of the E Street Band and that. Talk to me about that, those beginnings. And, and where was the overlap with, with E Street? Well, we, we um, um, so we're, we're in bands in high school, you know, and, and then after high school, uh, um, uh, Bruce came to me one day and said he discovered this new club in Asbury Park. Asbury Park was, you know, a ways away. It was like 20, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes south of Middletown where I was. And, um, you know, it was a a little bit exotic. Uh, The only time I'd been there was for a band battle. And uh, and so he said, you know, come down and check out this club called Upstage. It's open from 8 8 p.m. to 5 in the morning um, and with no booze. So it was strictly for musicians. And in those days, the bars closed at 3 so everybody would come over after the bars closed and jam. Jamming was the, the big thing in those days. So um, we ended up hanging out in upstage and eventually moving to Asbury Park. You know, we had an apartment together for a while. And then, uh, and then we, and we met all these, this whole new cast of characters from, uh, you know, Vinny Mad Dog Lopez to uh, Danny Federici to uh, Big Bad Bobby Williams and Southside Johnny and Gary Talent. Uh, you know, there's a whole a whole new set of uh, friends. And we would have a band, you know, a different band, like every three months, every four months. Right. You know, I'd be the leader one, you know, for a couple of months, and then Bruce would be the leader, and then, you know, Southside, Johnny. Um, anyway, long story short, we we ended up, uh, um, uh, I, I, I ended up going on to what was called the oldie circuit for a while, uh, where I got a chance to meet all my heroes and, catch up on, finish my education in terms of uh, the rock and roll education because I had missed the 50s, basically. So I got a chance to spend time with, you know, Little Richard and Gary Response and the Drifters and Benny King and all of those really original heroes and pioneers. And then after that, I came back and, and we started um, Southside Giant and Adbury Jukes. We had... Uh, what year was that? Me. Um, this is going to be... Uh, the oldest thing was about 73. So this is like 74, right. 74 into 75. Right. Um, me, me, Southside, and Bruce went to see Sam and Dave at, at a local club. Right. And and they were just so phenomenal that we decided we're going to be the white Sam and Dave, you know? So we kind of based the, the Asbury Jukes on that. And I already, you know, I was already a rock guitar player and we brought in horns. So we had this odd mixture of rock and soul which we combined, which became our identity. Uh, and, and I went back to it these last, these previous three years, right before the quarantine, I went back to that sound and toured for three years with, with, with you know, with a five piece horn section again, uh, for the first time in 30 years. Um, but, uh, but back then it was, it was, a uh, you know, you, it was important to have your own identity in those days, Donnie, you know, you had to, you know, speaking of brands, you know, you had to, you had to have your own brand and, and um, 
the sixties were was I call it a Renaissance period, and I and that's not hyperbole. I really feel that that was a Renaissance period when when the greatest art being made is also the most commercial. You know, you're in you're in a Renaissance period. Yeah, and so all through the sixties, um, you know, everybody had a very very distinct identity. And and then that would start to change in the 70s. Uh, we went from a monoculture to a very fragmented culture. And suddenly it was everything from singer-songwriters uh, like James Taylor and Jackson Brown over here to heavy metal like uh, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin over there and everything in between, you know. So the hybrids began in the 70s. But still, you, you even had to have an identity as a hybrid. You know, you, may, you, you, know, you were never going to be as original as the sixties groups were, yeah. but, um, but, but you still had to have your own identity. So we, we, you know, we, we, we found ours combining rock and soul together. And, uh, and then when did you join up? With, was, when did you join up with Bruce? So, so, um, um, right around that same time I did a, we did, we did a year or two in, in the bars there. And then Bruce, um, you know, Bruce started hanging out with us because his first two records didn't do very well. Right. A lot of people don't and, know that. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. They think it was started with Born to Run and they don't understand that. No, 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 no. No, no he, had, he had two records before that and they sold nothing. So uh, suddenly he's in the business, you know, which we'd always dreamed about. But, you know, we were having more fun being out of the business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so he kind of hanging out. He's hanging out with us where the action was. <laughs> and, uh, and we created a real residency scene in Asbury. We uh, we started with one night at the Stone Pony, went to two, went to three nights a week, and I mean lines around the block. And so um, uh, at that point, uh, Bruce is putting out his third album, and uh, his kind of career there is, is kind of on the line for for a minute. He says, "I'm going to try fronting for a while and see see if that changes, see if that changes the dynamics a little bit," you know. I put the guitar down. So, so come, come play. I got seven gigs booked. Come, come be the guitar player. You know, I'm going to front and we'll see what happens, you know? And at that point I was ready to get out of town. You know, I was also managing the band and, uh, you know, you're constantly fighting with the bar owners yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, it's constant warfare. Uh, and, you know, so I was like, I was ready for a break, you know? So, so, um, so I went and joined. I I, I joined uh, these three band for for seven gigs basically, and then uh, stayed seven years because uh, at that point we broke through. What did uh, that? Do you of- remember a moment when it was like? Because you guys have, have been a big part of culture uh, for for my generation, and and I. Do you remember the moment where you said we're really? We're really making a difference here. We, we, we're 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 kind of not in Kansas anymore, and this is something special. Was there an internal moment, an external moment, a, uh, a where you went, "Holy fucking shit! This is it, this is really happening." It it, it it happened slowly. I mean, we we, we probably had the longest gestation uh, of, of of musicians who you know between the time of starting to play and and actually being successful. Uh, was like 15 years. Okay, yeah. that's, that's a long time. Yeah, because we, you know, we we had made a little noise of Born to Run. You know, pe- people think that was a hit, but it really wasn't. Right. But you know, of course, it, it became his signature song, deservedly so. Just a terrific record. But then um, there was a whole lawsuit going on. We couldn't really um, tour that much, or 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 and uh, and and did the darkness on the edge of town period. Um, it was a, was a, was kind of a rough period and and we we were needing some help and we finally hooked up with the greatest agent that ever lived Frank Barcelona who really came in at the right time and, and helped us out uh and got us through that rough period in the, in the late 70s and then explain, what would an agent finally, explain to people what an agent would do for a band at that moment you're having a rough period now all of a sudden a new agent comes on the, the band's not changing so what's changing right well uh Frank Barcelona is worth a couple of minutes of time here. He completely transformed the entire rock industry single-handedly. And I'll tell you why in just a few sentences. Um, in the beginning, rock and roll was was not considered a serious part of the of, of the agency business. Uh, you know, it was it was movies and you know TV and mm-hmm. and, and 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 the real you know the the pop singers like the Frank Sinatra's and mm-hmm. Tony Bennett. Um, 
Frank Barcelona started the first rock and roll agency that was exclusively for rock and roll. And he put uh, promoters, uh, young promoters, in, in gave them territories. He divided the country up just like Maranzano had done with the mob and then Luciano uh, later. Uh, put, put his own promoters in place and, and said to them, listen, you're going to lose money for the first couple of tours. You're going to break even. And then you're going to make money the rest of your life. And, and no one's going to come and take the band away. And, and, and you're going to have uh, uh, consistency. And so Frank Barcelona introduced the concept of, of longevity, which didn't exist in the rock world, you know. Uh, he also came up with the innovation of, of deciding that what, what a band is live is the most important thing. Uh, the records would follow. The radio would follow. Yeah. Uh, so so um, he had you know, he was very very innovative and 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 became the most powerful guy in the business. Um, and what that meant was, at a time when you know Bruce was having a tough time, Frank getting involved gave him a whole new life. Now people had to take Bruce seriously. Yeah. Because Frank, uh, I call him the Godfather with good reason. Uh, Frank Frank was now interested. He was under Frank's wing. So um, so we got through that darkest period because of Frank um, and also Steve Popovich, another record company guy, uh, helped us out uh, at the time uh, by organizing a session for Ronnie Spector that we did where we got paid for the first time and, and we needed that money. Anyway, um, finally, for the fifth album, The, the River, uh, which the first one I co-produced, I'm proud to say, we finally had a hit single. And 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 that's the point where everything changed. Yeah. Uh, that first hit single, and, and it was, singles were tricky in those days because we're coming out of uh, the era when, when um, you know, FM was take was replacing AM radio. Yeah. And and AM radio was was known as the pop stations, where you had hit singles, and FM was more for rock songs, which were longer and and not really, not really pop yeah. oriented. Yeah. You know. So you had to be careful. You couldn't have a hit single at the wrong time or else they looked like you were selling out. Yeah. You know? So we had a, we, you know, after five albums, it was the right time. And, uh, and, and we, and and we you know, we finally broke through. You guys always look, I've seen so many shows. You guys always look like you're having such a good time out there. Yeah. I'm friendly with, with John Bon Jovi. And I, I've asked him this many times. You're, you're doing, obviously the shows are a little different every night. The, the sets are a little different, but how are you playing a rock star up there? Are you having, are you thinking about your, what the dry cleaning you have to pick up? Cause it's a job. I, I mean, I know you're an artist, but it's repetitive and you're doing it, you know, night after night after night. Are you for when you're in the audience, it's this special thing. Do you get lost the same way? Or are you, Take me through Stevie up on stage. What's going on in you? I, I mean, I, I always want to get, I, you guys are playing in front of 20,000 or 50,000 people and you're, uh, you know, a handful of people. What's going on in your mind when you're up there? Uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the minute you walk on stage, it's just like when you were 16 or, or 26 or 36. I mean, you're, you know, it's always new again. I have a theory that, that I think I think our brains have a limiter on them that don't really remember our our, our highest you know our, our most uh, ecstatic moments or our most depressed moments. I think we actually have a limiter that limits our our ability to actually remember those highs and lows, you know, to keep us kind of stable. And so every time you walk on stage and you hear that roar, it, it's new again, you know. Uh, and, and your your adrenaline immediately, you know, goes to work, and and you're and you're 16 or you're 26 or whatever again. So you you go on stage fully intending to do the best show anyone's ever seen, okay? And that's never changed. Um, at the same time, um, I'm kind of I kind of got the front row seat of, of 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 one of the great shows on earth. So I'm enjoying the show yeah. as much as anybody, really. You know, uh, in, 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 you know. So half your half your mind is sort of enjoying the show, and half of your mind is kind of, is kind of giving giving a show. But um, it's all very natural. I mean, when you've been on stage as long as as we have, yeah. you know, it's it's. I feel more comfortable on stage than off. Yeah, you know what I mean. 
you know, that, that's really your comfort zone. Uh, and, uh, and so, so, you know, you're, you're, are you acting? Uh, you know, we're all acting all the time. I think, you yeah. know, whatever, you know, we're all playing we all parts, have a, yeah. a, million, a million personalities and, you know, we, we are who, whoever's most appropriate at that moment, I think is, is who we become. You, know? you talk a lot about the book about, uh, probably one of the biggest decisions in your life. And there was a tremendous upside, tremendous downside. You decide to leave the band. Uh, and you, you, you felt that your influence wasn't the same as you wanted it to be. You had always been Bruce's consigliere and always been a big part of, of the decision-making and how things went. And you felt that was shifting a little bit. Talk to me now in hindsight, leaving the band in those, those years you were, you were gone. Yeah, that was the big moment uh, of my life. And, uh, you know, you look back, and of course, the, the, your obvious thought is, uh, "I wish I, I wish I could have done both things. I wish I could have stayed in the band, and then done everything I've done since I left the band." You know, yeah. Because everything I have done, uh, I've done since I left, and, and that includes my my solo work. You know, uh, the Sopranos, uh, Lilyhammer. Um, you know, my involvement in politics and, and, and South Africa uh, and yeah, all the rest. Gonna, we're going to talk about sunsetting in a little while. It's incredible. You know, I mean, it's just one, it's one of those things that, you know, of course, it probably wouldn't have been the case. You know, if I'd stayed, yeah. I probably wouldn't have done any of those things, very, very possibly. So it's always going to be that, uh, you know, mixed feelings about, uh, you know, my, my uh, I gave up, I gave up, you know, what I'd worked my whole life for at that point, you know, 15 years of work, I just walked away from it when we finally made it, uh, which, you know, seems foolish. And everybody tried to talk me out of it. And, and of course, they were right, you know. Not but, yes and no, because to your point, you would not have done these. It's interesting. Similar thing for me. I was, we'll talk a little bit because we had an interaction and I was running my ad agency. And we were super successful and everything like that. And I sold at a very young age. And you say in your book, you know, never leave your power base. You know, I kind of left my power base and I've had a media career since, but I often question, okay, had I not sold and I, that was my power base, that was kind of who I was, what would my life look mm -hmm. like now? And so it's an interesting, I, I, I kind of, I feel you, whereas it wasn't a mistake, but it was a mistake, but it wasn't a mistake. And, you know, and, and it's just so, but I, I think as somebody who's just got a front row seat to your life. I think it was not a mistake for you because, as you said, Lily Hyman would not have happened, which, by the way, great show, three seasons. I mean, like not everybody knows, of it, but please look it up on Apple. It is it is such a fantastic show. Um, was it three seasons, four seasons? Uh, three seasons. Yeah, it was like Norway, actually. And, oh, I'm and, sorry, and, uh, Norway. No, no, that's all right. And it was, it was the first show on Netflix. So it's, it's still on Netflix. It's amazing, amazing. Um, yeah. You, uh, we got to... Talk about the Sopranos. I mean, I, uh, I, I was a, as much of a Sopranos devout person as you can be. I discovered it very early before it became what it was, you know, because early on it wasn't like, you know, we're hit out of the box. And so, I mean, it, and it was so the first of its kind of, you know, it is now what we see on TV and all the serialized shows, these incredibly well-written, well-acted uh, movies on television. Uh, serialized that we never saw before. And, the, you know, tell the story about how you ended up as Silvio because you know, nobody would tap you on the shoulder. I mean, except somebody like David Chase and go, you know what? I think I think this guy should be in my TV show. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a ridiculous story that, you know, you, you wouldn't believe if it didn't happen to you. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about how destiny works in, in the book. I take it, you know, one ridiculous you know, thing at a time, you know, one, one incident at a time. And uh, basically, um, David Chase was flicking around with a remote and, and uh, I'm, I'm in, inducting the Rascals in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he, he stopped on that channel. Uh, I, get, I did a little bit of a comedy thing, mm -hmm. which is probably on YouTube somewhere. And uh, and he and he was just like, hey, let's, you know, he was already a fan. He, he, you know, he's not only an E Street fan; he actually had my solo albums too. And he said, yeah, you know, I want I want new faces. I'm, I'm this is my last my last thing I'm going to do on TV. He had been in TV since Rockford Files, you know. Uh, For a younger and, audience, uh, that's an old James Gardner movie, uh, series, right? right from the seventies, right from the seventies. And he'd done you know three or four other shows, you know, that were successful. And he was. 
you know, a successful TV journeyman writer. And he's like, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I want to get them. I want to go make movies. So, so um, I'm going to do one more TV show and I'm breaking all the rules, you know? So I want new faces and they found me, you know, uh, which I was not easy to find <laughs> at the time. And, you know, he says, you know, you want to be in my new TV show? And I was like, geez, that's a nice compliment, you know, but no, no, thanks. You know? And he's like, what do you mean? No. And I was like, well, I'm not an actor, you know? And, and he says, yes, you are an actor. You just don't know it yet. So what did, you know, so, I, I'm so fascinated by that. What it came to be uh, prophetic because you were a fan and are a fantastic actor. How did he know that? Is it just because you're a performer well, in general or? or? No, I, no, no, I think it was the relationship that we communicated from the E Street Band. We, we really were the rat pack of rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't faceless, uh, nameless sidemen. You know what I mean? We we're always characters. And Bruce always, uh, you know, always talked about us in his in his raps, you know, and and, um, and and so it was it was really, you know, that kind of uh, that kind of uh, you know personality and character that we that we that we we communicated on stage, you know, with me in the Dean Martin role and Clarence, you know, Sammy Davis on steroids, right, you know, right. uh, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think he, he was attracted to that, that kind of personality, you know, and we, and we even communicated that in our pictures, some of the pictures we took, you know, I kind of had a little bit of that mob thing, you know, the Italian American thing, yeah. uh, you know, early on, you know, I used to wear the, you know, the t-shirts and the hats and, and you know, and, and just kind of had that was bringing, bringing that Italian American attitude into rock and roll, which, uh, you know, hadn't been really obvious probably since Dion, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think he saw that he saw, he saw, he saw some personality there and he thought, uh, and I also thought that the, the New Jersey connection was very important to him. Yeah. You know, every, every network passed on the show because he was insisting on, on, on shooting in New Jersey, you know? And you actually so, read so, for, uh, read for the Tony character at first, didn't yeah, get it. And he actually yeah. created the Silvio character to have you in there. Yeah. Yeah. I said to him, you know, uh, when HBO said, what are you, crazy? <laughs> we can't cast this guy who never acted before, you know? Uh, and so at that point, uh, he says, you know, what, what do you want to do? You can have any part you want. And uh, and I said, well, you know, now that I think about it, because, I mean, things have been so quick, you know, so, so spontaneous, uh, I said, you know, now that I think about it, I kind of feel guilty taking an actor's job, you know? I mean, these guys, they work their whole lives. My wife's really an actor. I, I've seen her go to classes for years right. and, you know, off Broadway and off, off Broadway, you know, I, I kind of feel guilty about this. And he said, all right, I tell you what, then I'm going to write you in a part that doesn't exist. So you're not taking anybody's job. You know, I said, wow, he really, he really wants me in the show. This is, this is wonderful. You know? So, uh, I said, you know, I said, well, I, I had, I get this, I get this, uh, treatment I had written about an independent hitman called Silvio Dante. And, uh, and he opens a club, like the old Copacabana Club, but it's in modern day, you know. And he, but he lives in the past, and uh, you know he has the big bands and you know the Jewish Catskills comics and 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 and, and dancing girls and the whole, you know, the whole fifties kind of uh, uh, show. And uh, the the five families have tables at the at the club mm -hmm. and and a, a police commissioner and you know so it's kind of like a mob version of a Casablanca, you know. And he says, you know, that's, that's interesting. Let me, let me think about it. And he went to HBO, came back two days later and said, eh, it's too expensive. So I'll tell you what, we're going to make it a strip club and, and, and you'll, and you'll run it for the, for the, for the family. And, uh, and then we'll use the back room as our office, you know? So that became the bada bing. It's amazing. Yeah. You, um, what's interesting is so fascinating is how you had the same, a similar role in that consigliere to, to Jimmy Gandolfini, you know, to Tony Soprano, as you did with Bruce and E Street Band, that you, yeah, you, yeah. I don't know if that was just coincidence or, or David understood oh. that, or you guys built the character, but you know, you, you as this uh, consigliere to these larger than life characters, you know, both Bruce and Tony. Yeah. It ended up being very helpful to me as an actor because I, I knew exactly what the, the, those dynamics were, you mm -hmm. know, being the only guy who's going to bring him the bad news, yeah. you know, because you're the only guy who is not afraid of him. Yeah. You know, 
and 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 you know, it didn't start off that way. Obviously, you know, I started off. First of all, he's going to cast me as Tony Soprano. Then, uh, then I became the uh, you know the the, the club owner, uh, you know, and and I and I had written a biography about the guy, how they how he had grown up with Tony, and 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 they were best friends, and and uh, and my guy was really the only guy who did not want to be the boss, uh, and kind of like you know, uh, and, and so um, you know slowly uh, by the by I don't know halfway through the first season or so it became obvious that that actually was a role that was important. You know, that, that role really wasn't really written uh, into the pilot, that, that, that all-important consigliere role. Yeah. Because everybody else was vying for position or, or just, you know, being a fuck-up or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it ended up actually becoming uh, an important little piece of a jigsaw puzzle. While, while you were shooting early on, because you were a novice, so you maybe didn't have an appreciation that an Edie Falco or, or Jimmy or uh, uh, Tony, some of the other guys who had been lifelong actors and how special this was. Do you remember, would you no. remember them people saying to you, dude, it's not like this, this is, or, or, or your own, or your own kind of epiphany. I mean, when, how did no, that go they down? Don't, they, don't. <clears throat> they were, they were impressive to me immediately. Uh, it was the greatest acting school you could ever go to. I mean, uh, I, I remember, uh, the moment it became real to me was at the very first uh, read through. You know, we we do a table read, sure. and and you know, and I'm you know I'm getting the hang of it, and and I look up, and across the table from me is Johnny Ola, you know, from <laughs> Do- Godfather Two. Sure, Do- Dominic, right? Yeah. Dominic Kinesi. I'm, right. I'm like, you know, holy shit, you know. Johnny Ola, you know, and suddenly the whole thing became yeah. very real at that moment, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, and and you know, but just watching Jimmy and Edie, I mean, these are two of the greatest actors ever. And, and, uh, and like I said many times, you know, you do a scene with Jimmy Gandolfini, you walk away a better actor. You know, what's your favorite? So scene? I, I what's your just, favorite scene of all time? Uh, I don't know. I, I really, you know, because some of the scenes with him, uh, you know, I think the the one where he got mad at me for for. Uh, being honest with him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I like that. So that felt familiar. Uh, I also <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> we, I only had a, like one uh, arc uh, with my wife because she's always with the girls and, and I was with the guys. Who was you know? your real so, life? Who was your real life wife? Of course. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maureen, uh, after, after starting in the second season became right. uh, Gabriella, uh, my, my, my character's wife. And, uh, and, and there's a nice scene with her, you know, when uh, Jimmy's in the hospital, and and and, and I, I now have to, you know, Silvio has to step up and be the I'm boss for a minute. Right. Uh, you know, it's a very I, I like I like that scene a lot with with, with Maureen. You talk about when you leave to, when you're leaving your house when you're leaving the house in the morning to go to work when <laughs> she's kind of like telling you, you know, you can do it. And I don't remember the exact words, but it was kind of woman standing behind her man, and and you as she's talking, yeah. you kind of starting to feel it, you know. And it, it was a great scene, great scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, uh, you know. She, yeah, she was trying to give the give him some confidence, and uh, it was a great, great. You know, the, the writing was just so good, Donnie. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, doesn't get any ridiculous better. now. Ridiculous. You know? We, you are interesting that you're about the only character in there that we don't you. You didn't die. You were on life support, but we don't we we don't know what happened to you. <laughs> so. Um, no, no, he he, he was going to stay alive just in case there was a sequel. He was, don't worry. <laughs> now, do but you have do you have an interpretation? Do you have an interpretation of the ending? I mean, to some people, it he, Tony got whacked at that moment. To other people, it was just nope, ending, and you're going to do whatever you want. What what was your creative take on that? No, I didn't. You know, I uh, Vanity Fair, I think it was, did a, did an article years after the the, the show went off, and. Uh, and uh, interviewing all the actors and everything was, which, which was a great article. And and I, I ended the article. I think you know. I said, listen, he you know he asked me the same question. You know, how, how does it really end? Tell us the truth. I said, okay, for once and for all, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this conversation and tell you the truth. Okay, you ready? He says, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, what happened? He says, what happened? I said, I'll tell you what happened. The director yelled cut, and the actors went home. <laughs> you know. 
I, I, I happen to do, you know, I, you know, my radio show is, uh, you know, on, on a lot of affiliates in addition to having my two channels on Sirius. And, You're um, on over 200 stations. I mean, it's it's, it's, yeah, two, well, it's just going yeah. almost 20 years now. It's crazy. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, 100, 100 countries. Yeah. Um, but but you know, but the the morning after, you know, I was on one of those morning shows that are yeah. that are syndicated all sure. over the country. Sure. So I had to hear from the entire country. You know, uh, all the complaints, complaints, complaints about the ending. And finally, I said, okay, let me hear your ending. You know, uh, did you want the, uh, Tony yeah. to die? Well, no. Did you want to eat yeah. and die? Well, no. Yeah. You know, no. kids, no. Yeah. So what you know, were we and do? by the end of the by the end of the radio show, people were like, "Oh, maybe maybe the ending's not so bad after all." You know. Just want, <laughs> you one, know, one, I just want to shift to politics. You're a very political guy, and in something you've got to be so proud of in your life. The, this, talk talk to us about Sun City. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the one uh, great accomplishment uh, of my life. I'm sure. Um, you know, again, good timing. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, we couldn't do it now. I tell you that. Um, but we, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, the the whole uh, South Africa apartheid thing wasn't wasn't that a, wasn't that big an issue in America. You know, a couple of people would talk about it now and then. You know, Harry Belafonte or you know, uh, even a Stevie Wonder, um, Randall Robinson. You know, but but it was there wasn't much of a movement here. Uh, overseas, it was different, you know. In, in England and Europe, sure, they, they were very, yeah. very, very into it. So, um, I know I'm just doing research. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making political records. So I decided that was going to be my identity. Again, you know, that was going to be my mm -hmm. brand, if you will, because again, I, I grew up in that Renaissance period when you had to have some distinct identity. Right. So I decided I'm going to be the political guy. You know, and all five records, all well, five of my albums in the '80s were very political. And so I'm doing research, and uh, I couldn't find out much about South Africa. So I went down there twice in '84, uh, I guess it was, and uh, you know, and did a lot of interviews, and uh, and was shocked by what I saw. So I decided to come back. I said, you know, this is not going to just be another song on my next album. I got to get a little more attention for this situation. So I decided to have a couple more people on the record, and it turned into 50 artists, and. Uh, you know, I, I strategized, okay, you know, here we are. Uh, the sports boycott was in effect and, and very effective, thanks to Arthur Ashe and others. Um, the home run was going to be the economic boycott, where the banks cut them off, and then game over, we win. In between, you know, was the cultural boycott. So we were the bridge in yeah. between, you know, to, to solidify, uh, you know, basically to raise the consciousness of everybody about what was going on down there. So, uh, you know, we did this record, Sun City, and and, um, and luckily I was able to talk uh, MTV at the time and, and, and BET, but but more MTV at the time to, to play it because they were having trouble. They weren't playing many black artists and they were really having a lot of trouble uh, in that area. So I said, well, I got more black artists in this video. You know, you're going to make everybody very happy. Believe me. Uh, and I said, for once, you know, why don't you be on the, you know, why don't you be on the forefront of, the, of, the, uh, of this issue rather than catching up later, you know? Uh, because our, our, our radio stations wouldn't play it, yeah. ironically. Amazing. You know, we had our own apartheid here, which now we're seeing, you yes, know. Yes, we're certainly seeing that now. fall apart finally, yeah. right. Yeah. So every, any, if, if anybody who heard the song, they heard it on MTV. And we luckily had a great video. And you guys were uh, a big, big part of, of change. It really, really were. Uh, oh, yeah. No, we, we, we raised enough consciousness to override uh, Reagan's. Uh, the only time Reagan's veto was overridden. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an amazing moment. Uh, and, and, and it was Republicans uh, that made the difference. Yeah. Can you imagine that? You, you know? <laughs> no. Real, real Republicans. No, I can't. It was a little bit of a different time. One or two things I also want to get into is just I was very flattered that I showed up in your book. We we had a kind of a a, a brief interaction a bunch of years ago. Just take me, tell me through it, story because I remembered it and and I read it. I was like, holy shit, that's right. I forgot about that. It, it, it was a funny moment in time when the record business was suddenly coming to an end. Uh, I don't know. 2008-ish, maybe. I, 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 I'm not great with time. But uh, um, the record business was really in trouble and about to end. And it, it never has come back. Um, so um, record companies uh, and publishers and everybody were looking to 
uh, licensed songs to to TV commercials and uh, movies because that's the only revenue. Yeah. Suddenly, no more sales. Yeah. And and the sales have really never come back except for, you know, a dozen artists. You know, the Beyonces of the world. Yeah. You know. Um, and so um, one of my guys comes in and says, you know, we're about to make a deal for a TV commercial, and the ad agency says they want to own the publishing. And I'm like, oh my god. There it goes. There goes the yeah. end of this whole, what's left of the revenue stream is about to end if this catches on, you know? Because, yes, the ad agencies were in complete uh, sure. control. They knew they had the last revenue stream, yeah. Yeah, so they, whatever they say, you're going to do. So I said, well, what's the agency? And they said, it's this Deutsche agency. I said, well, see if you can get the boss on, on the phone or, or the number, you know? And... um and they, and they called you, uh, and, I, and I guess I got the number, and I called, and you got right on the phone, which was, which was wonderful. And, and I said, Donnie, I know we don't know each other, but there's a very serious thing going down. Um, can we get together? And you were like, yeah, 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 that'd be great. Let me check my schedule. I said, no, no, no. Like, like right now. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you were like, right now? Said, yeah, right now. Let me, let me buy you a drink right now. And then you said, okay, let's do it. And uh, and we met at the Four Seasons uh, uh, restaurant there. And I told you the story. And you were like, I'll, I'll take care of it. And you did. And you changed the course of history. <laughs> By telling the by telling the ad agency when we're not we don't need to own the publishing. Yeah, I know? mean, I, I was I was I was proud to do that. I mean, there's, there's I, I've always been a uh, a champion of the artists at heart, and although I was a businessman, and and uh, so that was you were very kind to me in the book. Thank you very much. Um, uh, last two questions. Uh, first of all, I, I I always ask what my guests, what is the Stevie Van Zandt brand? What what is your brand if you were going to sum it up? My brand. Whoa, that's a tough one. Uh, you know. Um, you know, you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, try, you know, all we can do is try and realize our potential and, and uh, you know, whatever, whatever you, whatever you're doing that day. I mean, I, I tell people when I, when I do these master classes on, on, on songwriting or whatever, I say, you know, the thing to do is write with purpose. Yeah, you know, and in fact, live with purpose. Uh, you know, and I say that uh, because I hate wasting time, and that's the one thing I, I really hate more than anything. I always feel like I'm behind already because I started so late in life. You yeah. know, I didn't even be, you know realize I was an artist until in my 30s. You know, I didn't I, I didn't start acting until I was in my 40s. You know, so I'm, I, I was very late to the game. So I'm always feeling like I'm catching up, and, yeah. and I hate the concept of wasting time. So I'm like. Make sure, you know, live with purpose, write with purpose, you know, uh, you know, make it count, make it count. Quick, I'm going to throw out a few names. Just give me one or two words that you think their brand is about, okay? Clarence Clemens. Tradition. Little Richard. The archetype of rock and roll. James Gandolfini. One of the great character actors of all time who had to get used to being a leading man. Uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I would say Satan, but I, I hate to. I knew that was coming out of you. I knew that was coming out of you. And I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I hate to insult the satanic people. I'm right there um, with you. You know, uh, forget it. We could, we could do about an hour just yeah. on the uh, epithets I could come up with. But uh, Donnie, if you would have told me one guy could cause this much damage, I would not have believed. Well, okay? when you look throughout history, you look throughout history and it is one guy. And, I, you know, I was on, I've been on TV a lot. And I took a lot of bunk, you know, because I was comparing him to Hitler, not that he was causing a Holocaust, but when you look at the playbook of basically oh, yeah. creating another, you know, cre dividing, uh, you know, discrediting the, um, the, the, the free press, uh, putting the, you know, getting the justice system, you know, every dictator playbook this guy did and, and how people didn't see yeah. that. So I, I, you and I are not far off. Um, oh yeah, Joe Biden. I, I think, well, I think his, I think his ex-wife said he had Hitler's speeches. Yeah, Mein Kampf. The, uh, in the book next to him. Uh, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden. Anyway, boy, you know, I, 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 I got, you know, I hate, I hate to be negative about him because uh, he's such a, he's such a good soul, but um, uh, very similar to uh, Obama's situation. Um, 
I'm sorry, but it's it's the, the you know the right guy at the wrong time, and uh, he's just he's just you know he's such a lovable you know guy, decent guy. You know you want to you, you want to root for him, but man, it's one mistake after the other right now. Yeah, he's in a and, he's, uh, he's in a rough patch right now. We'll see. I mean, oh, look, no, the presidency is it goes on for four years, so we'll see how that plays out. All right, final one, Bruce Springsteen. Work ethic, you know. Uh, I mean, he's the living embodiment of 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 greatness uh, because greatness isn't born. Yeah, greatness is earned. Great greatness is developed, and he's just the greatest example of that. You know. Uh, you know, and I watched it happen. I watched it happen from a front row seat. Speaking of greatness, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. The book is Unrequited Infatuations. Uh, one of the really decent, brilliant artists of our time. I really appreciate you sharing your time with me, my friend. My pleasure, Donnie. Good All to right. see you. Have a great day. Hope you enjoyed this week's Brands of the Week and Brand of the Week, Stevie Van Zandt. Uh, remember to rate, subscribe, and review anywhere you get podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, any place else. And also go on YouTube. You can see the video and, and subscribe there also. And please leave your comments. We'd love to hear the brands that you want to hear about. So stay safe. Remember, rate, subscribe, and review anywhere you get podcasts. We'll see you next time on On Brand. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject and then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.